Hi everyone and welcome to the latest episode of The Hope Machine. I'm Victoria Reid from Asthma UK and the British Lung Foundation. The Hope Machine is the series that shines a spotlight on some of the incredible research that's giving real hope to people with lung conditions across the UK. Today we're delighted to welcome Dr Louise Fleming to find out more about why many children with asthma aren't getting the benefits from their inhalers that they should be and how we can change that. We'll also meet Professor John Hurst, who's put together the top 10 most important questions we want researchers to answer about COPD flare-ups. Both our researchers will, of course, be explaining their work in our 60-second challenge. Plus, stay tuned to the end of the show to hear a very special message from some of the people whose work you've supported over the last year. I really hope you enjoy today's show. Please remember that we are a charity and we can only fund this incredible research thanks to the support of people like you. If you're able to make a donation, we'd really appreciate it. Just visit asthma.org.uk forward slash hope machine. And now here we go. Let's hand over to Ian Gerald, who's with our first researcher. Well, hi, Louise. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk about your research. Before we do that, I just wanted to ask you a few questions so we can get to know you a little bit better. So, first of all, what do you think you would have been if you hadn't been involved in medicine and research? So that's quite a tough question because I've been involved, obviously, in medicine for a long time now. Um, I think if I had to choose another job, I might be a gardener. So this is something that I've I've got an allotment, so I spend quite a lot of time on the allotment, growing veg, and yeah, and I've actually yeah really enjoy that, and I think that's something that I would enjoy doing as an alternative career. Second question, can you tell us something you're either really good at or something you're not so good at? Okay, well, something that um, I'm good at is cake decorating. I like kind of making novelty cakes for my children for their birthdays, and every year, they set me harder and harder challenges. Amazing, well, they sound like they're, they're lucky to have a, a, a mum who has those skills. Final question is if travel and time were completely unrestricted, where would you go on holiday? You know, I think I would go um, to the Gambia. So I used to work in the Gambia in, in West Africa and I've not been back for a few years and I'd love to go back and visit the compounds where I lived and see the, the families that we used to live with. And it's a really beautiful country. Let's move on to your research. One of your main areas of work is, is children who have asthma and you're particularly interested in why some children don't get the expected benefit from their medication and particularly their inhalers. Can you tell us a bit more about this, this problem and what impact it has on children? We know that a lot of children don't have um, good asthma control and one of the main reasons for that um, as you said is because of um, the medication not working effectively. The main reason we find that it doesn't work effectively is either because it's not being taken as frequently as it should or it's not being taken correctly and so in order to be able to do something about that we need to understand how children are taking their medication, how often they're taking it and then to understand if they're not taking it as frequently as they should we need to understand the reasons for that. So my research focuses on kind of those three areas. So the, uh, the how often, the how are they, you know, whether they're using their inhaler correctly, and then if they're not, why not? When you say um, 
you know, their asthma isn't well controlled. What does that actually mean for them? Does that mean they have more asthma attacks? Does it mean they have more symptoms in general? What does it look like for, for those children? Yeah, so it can be different for different children. So some children will have asthma attacks and that's, you know, really important that we stop asthma attacks. We know that they can be severe. So the kind of primary aim is to have a zero tolerance to asthma attacks and try and prevent attacks. Then some children will have more frequent symptoms and that, that can impact on their ability to participate in sport. And we know that having kind of asthma attacks and poor asthma control has an impact not just on the child, but on their family. It can impact on their schooling. And so, yeah, it can be different for, for different children. In terms of what we know about why children maybe don't use their inhalers as frequently or, or as you know correctly as they could or should, are we talking about psychological challenges or societal reasons why kids might not want to take their inhaler? Or is it more about the challenges of actually the technique of using it correctly, which I think we know is something that even a lot of adults struggle with. Yeah, so it's actually really complex. There are over a hundred different causes that have been, you know, that have been described. So one of the practical aspects, so first of all, for an inhaler to be effective, it has to be taken correctly. And there are just so many different types of inhalers now, and they all require a different technique. So it's really important to check that a child can use their inhaler. For children who are on the kind of the standard um, multi-dose inhaler, so the kind of just the regular kind of squirty inhaler, that should always be used with a spacer. It should never be used straight into the mouth. Other ones can just be, you know, we're all busy, just forgetfulness, you know, chaotic lives. So they're the practical elements. Then you can think more about the kind of the perceptions of asthma treatment. So some children might not feel they get benefit from it. So why take something that you're not feeling a benefit from? And particularly as asthma is a condition that sometimes you can have problems with your asthma and sometimes not. And therefore when you're not having problems with your asthma, why take a treatment? Or some people can be concerned about side effects. So the inhalers contain steroids and that may be a concern. So it's really important to kind of explore all these areas because what we do to help children take their medication will depend on the reason why they're not taking it properly in the first place. So it's certainly not a one size fits all solution. Mm -hmm. Presumably, you know, if we're going to track how kids are taking their medication, you need to be able to monitor that. And obviously you can't be there with every child to see if they're using their inhaler when they should and if they're using it correctly. Can you tell us about how your study is going to tackle that and how you're going to monitor inhaler use? Yeah, so we use electronic monitors and they fit onto the inhaler, onto the child's usual inhaler. And they tell us, they give us kind of lots of information. They tell us the time and the date of each time the inhaler is used. And so, you know, that can give us a you know, a feel for how often the child is using it. What they don't really tell us is how, if they're using it correctly. So the current study is actually looking at new types of devices that will not only monitor the use, but whether the inhalation has been correct. So they contain flow sensors or acoustic sensors that will actually kind of measure that flow. That will help us know whether a child is taking it and whether they're taking it correctly. And of course, if you're not taking an inhaler correctly, it won't work properly, so you won't feel a benefit. So again, that's addressing some of the perceptual and the practical issues with taking inhalers. What do you hope will be eventually be the impact and the outcome of this research? And how do you think it will help both children with asthma and you know their families who are, are concerned about making sure they have the best health that they can? 
I think where I'd really like to get to is rather than, you know, the healthcare professionals sort of in the background monitoring is to have much more kind of immediate feedback so that, you know, straight away, there'll be something to tell you, oh, you haven't taken correctly. And there'll be that direct feedback to the patient or, you know, to have a connected app that, that kind of helps with the motivation. So, you know, well done, you've taken your inhaler today. You know, don't forget to take it this evening. So actually that, that kind of a much more kind of indirect interaction with the patient. We know that when the ultimate beneficiaries, so the people who will benefit from research, when they're involved in a research study, we know that that has really great impacts in terms of making sure that the research does deliver what we're trying to deliver for people. Can you tell us a bit about how you've involved children who may benefit from this work, how you've involved them in the study itself? So we've done some work trialing some of these new devices, and then we've then carried out focus groups with the children to actually find out what they thought of them. And they've come up with a list for us of what they think are good devices and what looks good for them, what sort of thing they would like to use. And they want, they want devices that don't involve them having to do something extra, that, that gives them feedback, um, that's easy to use. And it's been really kind of interesting hearing their feedback and, and some of it surprising, some things that we think would be good. They've told us, no, actually that doesn't work for them. You know, and other things that, you know, maybe we weren't so sure about, they've said, yep, no, that, that's a really good thing. And, and we can use, use those opinions that we've got from them to help kind of inform further design of these devices. We're going to finish now with a bit of a challenge for you. Hopefully it's a fun challenge, but what I'd like you to do, if you can, is to explain this research study in 60 seconds or less, so simply that a child of nine could understand it. So some children have trouble with their breathing, and that's called asthma. And we use um, inhalers that go directly into the lungs to help with their breathing. However, some children have trouble remembering to take their inhalers or they have difficulty using the inhalers. So my study is using kind of new electronic devices to help children to remember and also to, to let the child and their doctor know and their nurses whether they've used that inhaler correctly. And then we can use that information to help them and to give them more support and encouragement for using their inhalers so that they can take control of their asthma and have yeah, much better um, asthma control. That sounds amazing. And it sounds like, you know, that idea of supporting people to care for themselves will be really empowering and motivating for people to control their own asthma, which sounds, sounds amazing. So good luck with the rest of the study. Thank you so much for joining us, Louise. And here's to helping kids get more from their inhalers. Now I'll hand over to Freddie from our research and innovation team, who's here to tell you something I bet you didn't know. Bet you didn't know that we're continually working to influence industry, key decision makers and other major UK funders to invest more resources and give more attention to respiratory research and innovation around the country. In the summer, the government released a 10-year life science vision in which they prioritised respiratory disease. So right now, we are working to ensure that the government's promise is realised over the coming months and years. We're developing a plan of action to build the respiratory research and innovation industry even further, with a focus on improving research into respiratory prevention, diagnostics, new treatments and management. And we are leading on bringing together those major funders and decision makers to help make sure it happens. 
All of this with the goal to reduce respiratory morbidity and mortality. Well, hi, John. Thanks so much for joining us today to talk about your research. This is the first time you've appeared on the Hope Machine. So before we hear about your research, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions so that we can get to know you a little bit better. Okay. First of all, what would you have been if you hadn't been involved in medicine and research? Oh, that's a great question, Ian. That's actually an easy one for me to answer because, uh, and I'm amongst friends here, I know I can say this, I really, really like trains. Uh, so I would be a train driver. I would be at the front of something very fast and very pointy. Can you also tell us something that you're either really good at or really bad at? I'm really bad at getting up to go to the gym in the mornings. Uh, I really wish I was better at <laughs> doing that. Um, so I try to channel the information I might be giving to uh, people going to pulmonary rehabilitation classes, for example, about why it's so important uh, and remind myself that if uh, people living with lung diseases can do that, then so can I. If travel was completely unrestricted and safe, where in the world would you head off to first? So uh, my partner's from India originally, and I've, I've traveled a lot in India. We have a lot of uh, family in India. Uh, I've not been to India for some years. Uh, it's a fabulously diverse country, and I can't wait to go back. Uh, and that's uh, not completely unconnected with the food, if I'm honest with you. Let's talk about your research. So. I know earlier this year you finished a project looking at chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or COPD and in particular looking at the exacerbations or the flare-ups that can happen in that condition. First of all, can you just tell us a little bit about these flare-ups and what they're like for people who live with COPD? So they're really important. I guess the first thing uh, to say, is, as many people listening to this will be all too aware, is, is how common COPD is and yet you know, it doesn't really get the recognition that it deserves. And if you start talking to people living with COPD, then they tell you about two things generally. They, they tell you about the symptoms that they have on a day-to-day -day basis and how that impacts their lives. But they also tell you about these unpredictable episodes, often driven by infection, where their symptoms get worse. And medically, we call those exacerbations. I think that's quite a, a difficult word. Uh, and so flare-ups is commonly used. Uh, and they're important. They're important for all sorts of reasons. Uh, but perhaps the most important reason they're important is that when you speak to patients, they say that they are the most disruptive aspect of living with COPD. So if it's important to patients, it should be important to us as clinicians and researchers too. What happens when someone has a COPD flare-up? What actually, what's their experience like? So they'll notice that their symptoms change. Um, so for example, they might get more breathless. Um, if they have cough or phlegm, there may be a change in the nature of that phlegm. It might be stickier or darker or harder to cough up. And all of that means that they feel lousy, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Can't do yeah. the things that they normally do uh, in life. And for people living with more severe disease, uh, with more severe COPD, these, these events can be, can be really, really frightening. Sometimes bad enough to land up people in hospital, right? And that's, a, that's, that's such a disruptive thing. We need to be doing everything we can to prevent exacerbations. What do we know about the kind of more medium or longer term consequences of having frequent exacerbations? Does it change the outcome for people with COPD if they have a lot of exacerbations? It does. Each individual exacerbation uh, is probably associated with a small drop in lung function. And so the more of those that you're having, the more the lung function isn't able to uh, recover. I think they have an impact on your functional status, how much you can do. I think they have an impact on your mental health as well. You know, they make you feel 
uh, low, uh, difficult to face what's going on, and they have other effects outside the lung as well. So they can increase the risk of uh, heart problems, for example. So for all of those reasons, not just within the lung, but on the cardiovascular system or people's mental health, so important uh, mm. for people to know that they're on the best treatment that they can. This particular research study that has been supported by ASMA UK and the British Lung Foundation was all about deciding what aspects of exacerbations need to be studied by researchers in more detail to make big changes for people living with COPD. Why is it so important to set out priorities for other researchers to concentrate on? That's really important to think about. The way that research is done is that uh, it requires money. <laughs> Bottom line, it requires money. Uh, yeah. And so as a researcher, I'm often pitching my ideas for money. Uh, that might be to AUKBLF, uh, it might be to big national organisations like the MRC or the NIHR, but lots of people are pitching lots of ideas and so there's a competition. And so the question arises, how do people know that the questions that are asked are the best questions? And one way to do that is to collect those questions and to prioritise them in a very careful, uh, very thorough way, uh, and importantly, uh, for that prioritisation to have the patient voice at its centre, so that those are the priorities that people living with COPD themselves want to see answered. And that's what this research did. It asked people what questions they wanted answered, and then through a very rigorous process, those were finally, finally whittled down to a top 10 priority list that people wanted answered. And because the questions have been uh, developed and prioritised in that way, when we go to research funders, they're more likely to be funded. So by funding this research, Asthma UK BLF has meant that researchers are more likely to be successful in applications for more funds from other organisations. So important. As a funder, it gives us a lot of, I guess, confidence and comfort in the fact that we can know how to spend our money most wisely. Because, as you say, researchers could tackle a whole spectrum of different questions that may all be really interesting, but we want to make sure that our money is tackling things that will actually make a tangible and real difference to people. And I guess then the million dollar question is, what did you find out? What were the kind of top questions about COPD exacerbations that we need researchers to concentrate on now? The number one is about better prevention of COPD exacerbations. And I'm not surprised by, by that. That is really important. But I think number two and number three really speak to something that is important and hasn't been researched properly. And one is to ask the question, if you're living with COPD, how can you tell the difference between the start of an exacerbation and the day-to-day -day symptom variation that many people with COPD uh, experience? People have mm. good days and bad days. How do they know whether this is a bad day or whether this is an exacerbation? Such an important question, and we don't know how to do it. And number three was about how to tell the difference between a COPD exacerbation and another cause of symptoms that might be happening in somebody living with COPD. So if you're living with COPD and you get more breathless, yes, that could be an exacerbation, but it could be other things too. That's really great that the outcomes of this research do reflect what you see in your day-to-day -day practice. And I was actually going to ask, you know, what, was there anything in the results that surprised you or did it really kind of match up to your experience by and large? I would recognise that all the questions are important. I think the, what has come up in terms of the priorities, some issues that perhaps wouldn't have been researched otherwise, and I hope this really will be a springboard for research, particularly here I'm actually thinking about palliative care. Um, so that's uh, starting to think about people with more advanced COPD and how best to treat their symptoms. And that's a really under-researched area. 
Uh, and so to see that prioritized by patients and the clinicians, I think that was number six in, in, in the 10, uh, mm -hmm. I really hope will be a springboard for people to start researching that area, which is, which is often neglected. I certainly look forward to receiving applications for funding for our own research grants that are looking to try and tackle some of this top 10. I just wanted to finish with a bit of a challenge. Hopefully it's a fun challenge, but it's definitely a challenge. Scaring me now, Ian. Could you explain your research study in about 60 seconds or less, so simply that a child of nine years old could understand it? So I am a doctor who's interested in helping people living with long-term lung problems, in particular one called COPD. We wanted to understand what the most important questions were for people who are living with COPD. So we surveyed them, that means we asked them lots of questions, and then we organised uh, a group of experts and patients together to try and put those in an order where the most important was at the top. And we hope, we hope that by doing that, uh, other people will say, well, this is a really important question. Here's some money, go away and answer it. And so in the long term, we'll help people living with COPD and other long-term lung problems. Well, thank you so much, John, for spending some time talking to us today. Good luck with your future work and your future research. And yeah, really looking forward to seeing some of these questions answered in future. Thanks again. Thanks, Ian. Thank you so much for sharing the results of your work, John. To finish up today's show, we've got a group of researchers who would like to say a big thank you to you. But before I hand over to them, we would be so grateful if you could make a donation to support their amazing work today. There's more information in the description of this episode, or you can go to asthma.org.uk forward slash hope machine. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss the next episode. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks to Support Like Yours, I'm carrying out vital research into asthma diagnosis. Thanks to Support Like Yours, I'm carrying out vital research into COPD. I'm doing very important research into the antibodies that cause allergic asthma. I'm carrying out vital research into idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, a lung condition which is currently incurable. Unless we have research that finds a cure for these diseases, we're not going to be able to impact lung health in the long term. Thanks to support like yours, our research is able to help save lives. This research just wouldn't be possible without people like you. Your donations make our work possible. Your support means everything. Thank you very much for donating to my research. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.